I stood 5am on a charity work trip in a Sri Lankan hospital. I was looking after children who had had surgery and um, a small Sri Lankan nurse, she comes up to me with a sweet cup of tea and as I drink the much needed caffeine, she asks me a question. Have you got children? No. A look of pure horror crosses her face, but you are married, yes? No. More horror. To which she says, but you are so old. <laughs> I was 28. <laughs> As single people, we may not always be on the receiving end of such blunt alarm, however, often more subtly through phrases such as, I can't believe you're single, you're so great, or um, you're not getting any younger, how about trying out those dating apps? Sometimes given by well-meaning friends, the same message can be given. We live in a world that loves a love story. Romance novels are the highest genre of fiction sold, and the narrative of every great play and film inevitably involves a man and a woman who, against all odds, find love. A narrative that shouts at us in big, bold, unyielding letters that to be single is to be incomplete. In the film Jerry Maguire, I was told that actually some younger people might not know this, so it made me feel quite old, but uh, in the film Jerry Maguire, there's a famous scene where a guy, he signs to his um, girlfriend, you complete me, and a hundred hearts watching swoon, and they buy further into the belief that to be whole and to be complete, we need someone else. The romance novel that tells us of the men who were wayward, womanizing, finding status and meaning in sleeping with as many women as they could and wearing a badge of honour in their quest of non-commitment. They suddenly find that one person who's worth giving it all up for, trying to find uh, whoo, that one person who brings real meaning and purpose and therefore shows the lifestyle they led for what it was and leads them to commitment, loyalty, love and, yes, wholeness. There's an undeniable yearn and longing in every human heart to be connected to someone else. And the answer we are given is romantic love, that one special person. So we find them, we marry them, and then we wonder why we don't feel that completeness through them alone. Or we look as though searching for water in a dry desert. Then you might become a Christian. And you have teaching that this partnership is to be with another Christian for good reason, but then the desert kind of soon becomes a lot smaller and the water is even more scarce. And the narrative of the world's answer to love, if we're not careful, filters into our community. The church is made up of people, people who watch and read and listen to things and therefore form the church. And what beliefs you carry in your heart, single or married, will shape what we believe and we elevate. And I hope this evening takes us on a bit of a journey of looking at them and aligning them with God's truths. So as with most things, we look for advice as Christian singles, and we get given it. <laughs> wait patiently. Don't wait. Be proactive and get out there, but don't be too proactive. Trust in God. Be content being single, but use this time to prepare yourself for not being single. Don't look, then it will happen. But how will it happen if you don't look? Don't date unless you're sure you can fully commit. But don't be too full on. Maybe just go for a coffee. Join a ministry to get to know someone, but don't date someone you're in ministry with and find them in church, but don't church hop to find them. Blog after blog, sermon after sermon, well-meaning answers of how on earth do we act, wait, and find peace and contentment? 
practicalities of how as a church we include singles as though incomplete? How on earth do we find the right answer for each person? Let's start at the beginning. I'm going to tell you a little bit of a different story. God created the heavens and the earth and all that is within it. And he created man and woman in his image in Genesis. And they dwelt together in harmony. He gave people choice and they sinned, meaning they broke the relationship between themselves and a holy, perfect God who cannot be in the presence of sin. They chose to find their own way to be self-sufficient. They were a couple, but they lost connection to the source of all things, and things went badly from there. Brother killed brother, and the world descended into chaos, and God chose one man, Abraham. And he promised to be faithful to his descendants, and his presence dwelt with his chosen people. But in order to come near him, they had to be clean, sacrifice things for their sins, all sorts of things, because sin cannot be in the presence of God. And he made a promise, and he keeps his promises. And they rebelled. They chose to find fulfillment in other things and gods, and each time life became chaotic. King Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible, he literally lives life to the excess. He has all the relationships he could ever want, plus many more excesses. And at the end, he concludes that with all these things, it's meaningless. And his conclusion is to fear God and keep his commandments. And yet God, in love, and because he is faithful, keeps his promises to his people. And he promises something even greater. He says that because people keep sinning and they can't be fully reunited with him, there is actually literally a tent with this massive curtain that separates them from his presence. He says that there is a plan that the world will be restored back to its original state and be perfect once more, and that his people will dwell with him forever. In order for this to be possible, then someone needed to live a perfect life and take on the sins of the world, God himself. So God the Son, Jesus Christ, comes to be fully man on earth, lives a sinless life and dies, even though he's never ever sinned and takes on the guilt and shame of the world and is resurrected triumphant over sin and death and has made a way to be reconnected to God. That curtain actually tears in two. And that all who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and put their faith in him are credited with his righteousness, his perfect life as though it was theirs. And now they can boldly approach the throne of God, boldly approach God the Father, and have the spirit of God within them and become children of God, united to Christ and fully know God's love. In fact, the narrative of the Bible is of a bridegroom who pursues his bride and Jesus is the bridegroom and the bride is his church. And these people, who is anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, get to be in the final wedding, the wedding of Jesus to his church, the church being these people and they live happily ever after. Revelation tells us that. It is the ultimate romantic drama. And we are the wayward man who finds his one true love and turns his heart around. I mentioned that romance novel that tells of the men who were wayward and womanizing, trying to find status and meaning and sleeping with as many women as they could, finding that one person who's worth giving it all up for. That one person who brings real meaning and purpose and therefore shows the lifestyle they have lived for what it was and leads into commitment, loyalty, love, and yes, wholeness. The answer to the truth of the longing of every human heart is Jesus. You complete me 
is a phrase that can only be spoken when we are reunited with God. So before I even take a step further into talking about singleness, if you don't know Jesus, there's a part of your heart and soul that will never be filled. It was created by the very God who created you to be filled by him alone. Many other things will try and take this place and they might give an illusion to, but they're no more than like an inflated balloon and, give, and leave you feeling empty. That is why a single man who sleeps with woman after woman still desires that instant gratification because no substance remains, even though the world would tell them that this is the answer. Or the woman who believes that the next man they date is the answer to all their longings is crushed when the promises made to them by films melt away. Complete humanity can only come through Jesus Christ and union with God. Jesus brings meaning and purpose into the lives of those who follow him and they set their eyes resolutely on the final wedding. Complete humanity can only come through union with God and this comes through Jesus Christ. He brings meaning and purpose into the lives of those who follow him and they set their eyes resolutely on the final wedding. That's not the end, don't you worry. Singleness bears witness to the wait for this wedding, the now and the not yet, as marriage bears witness to the glory of the connection between Jesus Christ and the church. Singleness bears witness to the glory of hoping and fixing our eyes on something eternal, the real end to the true romance story. I came back to God when I was 27, properly. I thought I was following him by having faith, but I totally was living life exactly as I wished. And I was trying to fill this hole created by God with all things that the world promised. And God called me back to him, and I found myself in church, longing to be reconnected to God and longing to be free, and yet weighed down by guilt and shame and thinking, how on earth could I be accepted by God? Also, how on earth could I give up all the world was promising me to follow him? There was a big gaping hole to be filled, and I was holding on to lots of things I hoped to fill it. It seemed a really big ask. But he met me in love, and I knew the grace, mercy, and forgiveness of God. I knew he loved me, even if I wasn't sure that I loved him back. So once on track, <laughs> I thought, great, here's my moment. I'll meet a nice Christian man. And God showed me clearly that there were other things that needed to happen, but I was 27. I was getting on. This was a few years ago. And um, <laughs> I didn't have time to wait. Maybe I should have um, moved church if there was no one I liked the look of. Should I really sacrifice my chances and make my desert even smaller? I knew the Bible said that now I was a believer that I should date another Christian. And I also knew that it called me to be celibate until married. And if I dated a non-Christian, how on earth would they accept that? And looking around, there didn't seem an abundance of Christian men available. And yet, I knew I'd given my life to Jesus, and I wanted to trust and follow his ways. Would I really be able to wait? Would it be a guarantee that my desire would be met if I did? I wasn't sure I trusted God enough was enough. And around me, it seemed as though marriage was something that was held up as something wonderful, and singleness was something everyone was trying to get rid of. God asked me, and I've actually discovered he asks a lot of people this. He asked me to lay down my desire. 
And I know now it's because it had gained more authority in my heart than it was entitled to. But at the time, it just felt like I was being asked to rip out my heart and give it to him. So I handed it to him, but I still longed for it. But I decided to trust that he was true to his promises, and he showed me that he was in so many other things. He showed me this big picture. He began to complete me. Meaning, purpose, and destiny came in Jesus and not in marriage. And so I lived in the confidence of who I was in him, but it was hard. I can't pretend that it was easy because I wanted to be married. I wanted to have children. I wanted something that God shows is good. And it was really hard, actually, to let go of my control over it. I still carried the narrative of the world that told me that was the answer to happiness. My heart needed to be transformed. Do you know God is most interested in your heart? We're all on a journey, aren't we, of moving from truth that we hear to being in our head, to being in our heart, to living into the reality of what he's actually won for us. But sometimes to do that, we have to lay some stuff down and pick some truths up. We need to go there. We need to let go of our grip on the things that really don't satisfy and find living water in the only one who truly satisfies. And we all need to challenge our perception of what and who completes us. If you truly know this, I don't need to encourage people to include singles into families and vice versa, because you'll know that Jesus unites the body of Christ, and we're all members of the body. We're all called to flourish and thrive. And the answer to how this happens is Jesus. There's a theme. You might be picking it up. In the series Friends, there's a character called Monica. If you haven't watched it, don't worry, I'll explain. She is known among her friends as obsessively clean and tidy to the point that literally they are terrified of moving or breaking or breathing, I think, in her apartment. And she has a cupboard that is locked. And they try and get into this cupboard, and they try all sorts of ways. Um, just a lesson, using a credit card, not a good idea, because I think that falls in the cupboard. Eventually, they get into the cupboard, and they discover um, a cupboard full of junk, absolutely packed full. It's been my experience that as I've walked with God, in my heart, he leads me to cupboards of junk that I'd much rather just stayed there, <laughs> that I didn't have to deal with, that I just am like, I'm fine as I am. But Jesus comes alongside me, and he says, listen, we're going to sort through this. And actually, he's been faithful as he's unpacked and gone through all the junk, pulled out a truth, and brought me more increasingly into the freedom of who I am in him. God is most interested in your heart. If you don't allow him to take you on that journey, you will just stay stuck as I was at 27. But Becca, it's all right for you. I'm so far down the track of feeling the completeness of this. Is it possible? <clears throat> yes, he who promises is faithful. I'm going to go back to the phrase, I can't believe you're single, you're so great. I mean, you probably are great, but it's not helpful. Okay, I'm going to tell you about a guy I know. He gets this a lot, actually. He's single, he's in his 30s, he works for his family business, he loves and cares for his mum, he's got great close friends, men and women, and um, he reaches out a lot to those who get overlooked, he's got a real heart for the poor, he actually takes time out of his schedule to go and see the sick. Um, he's got this incredible relationship with God, and he knows scripture like you would not believe. He's celibate, in fact, he's actually a virgin, because he's never, he's always had faith, so he's obviously never had sex, and he's never had children, even though he lives in a culture that would fully, fully expect it. And you you might be thinking, I can't believe he's single. He sounds great. He is. 
His name is Jesus. To be a single Christian is to mirror the life of the one who we base our whole lives upon. I've read a lot of books on singleness. (laughs) A lot. (laughs) And I have to say that the best book I've read, I know your expectation might be that I was going to come up here today and tell you all the answers of how this is easier. I haven't got time for that. (laughs) I'm going to tell you some answers. But I've read a lot of books, and this book, which is called The Seven Myths of Singleness, is actually one of the most incredible books I've ever read. And I just want to put it out there because it tackles some really key issues. If you're a Christian today who's trying to overcome some lies, please take a time to read this. It addresses the lie that singleness is too hard or requires a special calling or means no intimacy or no family or hinders ministry or wastes sexuality or that it's actually really easy. I recommend actually the whole body of Christ reads this book and allows it to redefine what church family looks like and acknowledges the challenges of being single. It's so important that we just don't sit and settle with thoughts and perceptions that are not of God and we don't compromise, but also that we just don't hunker down and grin and bear it. Jesus promises us life in abundance and joy. We're called to live fully in the freedom of what he has won for us now. Otherwise, we sacrifice the meaning and purpose and destiny he's won for us, and we get sucked back into the meaningless lives that he has rescued us from. Being single does not define you, but nor should it consume you. The big issue we're challenged with is that to be a single Christian is to be celibate. The world screams that to not have sex is to not be complete. Therefore, how can we be complete? Sam Albury in this book says that Jesus lived this very teaching He is the most complete and fully human person who ever lived. And not being married is not incidental. It shows none of these things. Marriage, romantic fulfillment, sexual experience is intrinsic to being a full human being. But God is. I know Christian friends who have lived a similar life and felt shameful that they've not matched up to the world's expectations of sex. And we live with these lies and we think that they only affect our flourishing and our freedom. But Sam goes on to say to Christians, to say it's dehumanizing to be celibate is to dehumanize Christ, to deny his humanity and to deny him. I don't want to deny God. I don't want to deny Jesus. And if me believing something that is not true enables that to happen, then I need to address what I believe. We've got to allow truth to move from heads to hearts and let God work in us to live in the fullness of what he's won for us. And that comes through his word, which I will get to. You'll be pleased to know. All of it. When anything reigns above Jesus, you will compromise on your choices. The more we give in to sin, especially sexual sin, the greater a hold it gains on us, that we start to believe more lies, that we carry guilt and shame, which Jesus dealt with at the cross, and he asks only that we come to him in repentance. Hebrews 4, 12, 16. I wanted one of those, you know those really old school um, things you get in Anglican churches with all the verses in ready for you to go. And you could have looked them all up. For the word of God is living and active, 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus. The Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Newsflash, being single can be hard. And Jesus doesn't say, buck up your ideas, put on a happy face. He says, come to me, I get it. I've been there. I know what it is to be tempted, to be single, and you can come to me and expect to receive grace and mercy, strength and wholeness. Hold fast to this confession. In the marriage preach, we heard about how a husband holds fast to a wife, a wife holds fast to a husband, hopefully, as well. Um, And I think as a single person, you sit there and you hear it and you think, well, who do I hold fast to? Who 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 do I? Who do I hold to? Jesus. (laughs) Hold fast to our confession. All of us are told to hold fast to the gospel. And we mustn't forget that it is costly. Mark 10, 27 to 31. Got all my (laughs) post-its. Some of you are really relieved I've got some scripture out, aren't you? 27. So Jesus has been approached by a a rich young ruler and he has come and said, what do I need to do? I follow all the commands and and what do I need to do to inherit inherit eternal life? And he says, give up all your wealth. And he goes away really sad. And um, he turns to his disciples and says, with man this is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And then Peter begins to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now and in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands and persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Not just in this age to come, but in this age. There's an expectation that people will leave things to follow Jesus. And the most costly things are relationships and family. But he does promise that it will be worth it in this life. And at no point does he say that we should be without family. It's the narrative of God is family. It says in in Psalms that he puts the lonely in family. He exhorts us to, to, to take care of orphans and widows, those without family. It is constant throughout the Bible. No one should be without family. Previous weeks, we've touched on the importance of recognizing spiritual family and spiritual children, and I'll come back to that. But just before this, in the same chapter, Jesus is asked about divorce, and his disciples are like, oh gosh, it sounds awful. Surely it's just better not to get married at all. And Jesus, who created marriage and knows its value, rather than say, no, 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 don't be crazy. Everyone should get married. He actually says, for some people, if they can receive it, this is a calling. He talks about eunuchs from birth, so those, they would be those that are deemed unable to marry. But he says there are people who remain unmarried for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. There are many women and men of God 
who have held fast to the teaching of Jesus, that we are to be in relationships with other believers, if we ourselves believe, and that sex is just for marriage, and therefore remain single without compromise, even if this makes the choice seemingly smaller and would be seen as the world as missing out, and as a church family, this is to be commended and honoured. As much as we would honour someone who sold their house and moved their family to follow Jesus, we are to honour those that refuse to compromise, and that comes at a cost. There are believers that have always had faith, and therefore there may be virgins way beyond years that the world would expect, and often in the world's eyes, they are told to feel shame and inadequacy. We're to honour and exhort them. They have stayed steadfast to the teaching of God and stand as a testament to the spirit God gives us of self-control. God chose the Virgin Mary to give birth to the one who would redeem the world, Jesus. It's a pretty incredible calling. We need to rethink singleness, all of us. The solution is not not to be single, although this might end up being a path that we follow, but that we recognize and honor the cost whilst exhorting and encouraging one another to know that all we need is found in Christ. We're each called to a role within the body of Christ, and it is really vital for the whole church to function. And that is so that we can proclaim the kingdom of God and share the gospel with the world around us. Single people are extremely powerful when they lay hold of this truth. That's why the enemy does so much to discourage them and make them feel that this needs to be put on hold until they're married and encourages them to keep the cupboards locked and stay where they're at. Jesus has got so much more freedom. Single and married people are powerful when they realize that all they need is found in Christ alone and pursue living in the reality of this. If married couples display the glory of Christ in the church and the single people display the glory of the now and not yet For the final wedding, then the church gets to display how God calls us back to one true family, the family of God. And families look out for each other. They love one another. They serve one another. They ask for and offer help. They demonstrate acceptance. They give correction. I've known what it is to feel alone in the church. Some are true circumstances, and some of it have been lies from the enemy. Sometimes it was pride in not asking for help when I needed it. Sometimes I genuinely didn't get invited to things because I was an odd number. Single people don't mind being an odd number, by the way. We really don't. But I needed families as much as they needed me. And we both need to believe that for it to work. We've got an opportunity not only to lay claim to all God has for us, but to demonstrate something gloriously different to the world around us. It's so important we are known and loved by one another. And there are moments in time that punctuate that pain and cost. Age milestones for women and men, there can be seasons of grieving that they won't have the children that they thought that they would have. We have to mourn with those that mourn. We have to acknowledge those moments. There are moments that can be redefined when we walk in friendship and family with each other. I nearly showed you a video. I'm quite glad it's not on because it's quite embarrassing. But um, I was recently at a wedding of my best friend. 
and my other best friend was the other bridesmaid. I was a bridesmaid, she was a bridesmaid. And uh, it was the first dance. And everyone who's single in the room will know the feeling, or has been single. Um, <clears throat> you know, the couple dance for a bit, and then they get a bit awkward, and then they like beckon everyone on, and um, then all the couples sort of go on. And that's my cue to go to the bar. <laughs> and I go and get a drink, and I, uh, and I you know, wait till that's over and something less smushy is on. Anyway, in this moment, my best friend Lucy, who's been my friend since I was four, she's actually my sister. She knows me better than anyone else. She grabs my hand, pulls me onto the dance floor, and we dance very well. <laughs> actually, we kind of pushed a few people out of the way, but um, we had a great time. And it was only later in the evening that someone who'd known us for a while came up to me and said, I can't believe that Lucy um, chose to dance with you over her fiancé. Do you know, it hadn't even occurred to me that she turned away from Tom. Tom didn't mind. And just grabbed my hand. And it hadn't even occurred to her. It wasn't like, oh, Becca's single. I should make this easier for her. It was so natural because we walk in close friendship together because we know one another that in that moment, she was like, I want to share this moment with you and grabbed me. And we just went and had a dance. And that moment was redefined. And we need to think a bit more creatively about things that can look different and be redefined when we walk in true friendship with one another. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as that is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, the timeless truth that will last for all eternity and will overcome all things is the gospel. Yes, marriage is a wonderful gift from God, but we're told to hold fast to something else, our confession, our faith in Jesus, our trust that we're complete in him and placed within the body of Christ to make him known. The promise is peace, meaning, purpose, destiny, and calling, and God dwells within us and we know his love. I haven't given you a lot of answers, but I've definitely given you a lot of questions. And my hope is that we go away and we think about what this looks like and we go into the Word of God and let that redefine how God brings people into family. But what my response is, it's actually very easy. I don't have points. I don't even have PowerPoint. I haven't covered dating or anything like that because it's not the same topic. I think we're going to come together and we're going to worship. Hebrews, it's all Hebrews. Hebrews 12, 28, 29 says, Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us then offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Our response is to come to Jesus in worship. To first fix our eyes on him and praise him for who he is. And then to bring him our hearts and ask that he shows us where we need to get greater revelation of his truths. Perhaps we need to hand some things over. Perhaps we just need to hear the well done of the Father over us. And pray that we learn how to redefine what it is to be single as we live out the command to love one another. Maybe you were struck at the beginning about the fact that actually you don't know Jesus. And actually there is a hole that's always been missing. There's an opportunity for you to spend some time with God and to say, are you there? And put your faith in him or explore what that looks like. Maybe you just need to refix your eyes on Jesus. So I'm not going to talk too much more.
We're going to worship. We're going to lift our eyes up to God. I'm going to invite the awesome band up. Let's worship. Oh, let's pray. I'm going to pray. (laughs) I'm not used to being on this bit. (laughs) Father God, thank you. Thank you that you've written a timeless story over all creation that doesn't leave us abandoned as orphans. Thank you that you have made a way that we come back into the family of God. Thank you, Jesus, that you chose to come and sacrifice yourself for us, that we would be able to come boldly (laughs) before the throne of God. Thank you that in you there is no guilt or shame or fear. Thank you that when we put our trust in you, we can come boldly before you. We can come and receive grace and mercy and love and kindness. Thank you, Lord, that you have promised us life and life in all its fullness. Thank you that you said that in your presence there is fullness of joy, that you make known to us the path of life, that there are pleasures evermore. Thank you that the pleasures that this world promises us are nothing but a wisp and a wafer in comparison to what you promise, eternal life, eternal pleasures with you. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to fix our eyes onto something greater, something far bigger. Thank you that also you meet us in the moment. You're not indifferent. You don't sit there and just tell us to get on with things. You come and meet us where we're at. Thank you that you are kind and compassionate. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us this evening, that you are always with us. Thank you that you are desperately pursuing people to know your love, that they would come back into the family of God. And Lord, I pray that we would know as a people how to demonstrate that, to bring your glory, to make you known, Lord Jesus. Amen.